All right, we're going to look at the scriptures now. Um, we study the Bible every week here at Grace Bible Church because we believe it speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus himself. We want to hear his voice. We want to sit at the feet of Jesus. So we encourage you to open up that Bible if you have one. If you don't, we've got black Bibles under the chairs. You can grab one of those from under the chair and open that up. We're in Proverbs right now. You can crack that open to the middle. Proverbs has a lot of long extended sermons and poetry, and then it also has little sound bites, little pieces of wisdom. And we have now moved into that section of Proverbs where we're looking at the little pieces, the little bumper sticker, fortune cookie sayings. And so we're breaking that up into themes. Overall, we've called this wisdom series Scandalous Wisdom, because what we've been acknowledging is when we obey the voice of God, when we walk in biblical wisdom, that's going to be confusing and scandalous to the world around us. But we want to reassure you and remind ourselves that Jesus is a God of grace. He gives himself to us. So as we follow him, we're going to have grace to give to others as well. And so that's what we're learning in the Proverbs series, how to walk with Jesus, how to listen to his voice, and then have grace to give to others. This morning, with a focus, the theme is on friendship. We're calling it wise friends. Wise friends. Proverbs 13.20. Wise friends. What we're going to do this morning is a little different as well. As we look at the theme of friendship, there are a lot of Proverbs on friendship. So I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, we're going to bounce around more than normal, okay? So just kind of keep your hand in Proverbs 13.20, but I strongly exhort you not to try to flip to every verse I'm going to read this morning because it's going to get chaotic. I'm going to put them up on the screen. So I'm just going to put up verse after verse on the screen this morning. Uh, but the first one we'll read together. It's Proverbs 13.20. Proverbs 13, 20. Before we read the verse, I want to set up just a contrast from my own life. I had uh, a lot of friends that I spent a lot of time with. My teen years, two friends that I spent probably the most time with in junior high and high school. And I want to kind of just set up two different pictures for you. One friend, I'm sitting in class. The teacher is saying a lot of things, as teachers often do. And I'm kind of daydreaming. I'm thinking about other things, as I often did. Class ends, and I'm like, oh, it kind of wakes me up, and I'm like, oh, what, what did she say, right? And I turn to my friend who sat next to me. Our names were close in alphabetical order, so we sat together all the time, right? I was like, what did she say? What, what's our assignment? What did I miss? And he's like, man, why don't you pay attention? Listen. You should listen, right? So that was one friend. We spent a lot of time together. He exhorted me to listen and to pay more attention. I have this other friend. We're roaming the neighborhood around 11 o'clock at night, which is already a problem, right? We're roaming the neighborhood at 11 o'clock at night, and he pulls some fireworks out of his pocket, and he was like, hey, let's put these fireworks in our neighbor's mailbox, <laughs> right? I'm like, okay. And then he wants to put the fireworks that he's got in his pocket on someone's front porch. And then he wants to put fireworks in someone's tailpipe. And now I'm getting really worried, like we're going to blow up the car. No cars ever blew up. But we did light a lot of fireworks. So I, I lift up those two examples to you of friendship, which of those friends helped me to become more wise, and which one of those friends did not? What do you think? Fireworks. Two different fireworks friends. Okay. <laughs> Two different kinds of friends, right? Two different examples of friendship. One sharpened me, helped me to be wise. One did not. He pulled me in the other direction. So here's our proverb of the day, Proverbs 13, verse 20. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise 
becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We want to walk in wisdom. We, we want to grow as those who know what is right and do what is right. And the friends we're surrounded by make a big difference. As you do a word study of friends, uh, and another word, neighbor, another word, companion, another word, brother, right? All different forms of this idea of friendship. What you find in Proverbs is that there are good friends and bad friends. And it's actually the context of these words that help us figure it out, right? You can't just look up the Hebrew word for friend or companion and go, oh, this is a good one and this is a bad one. No, it's the context. It's how they behave. It's how they walk with you. And we have the same issue in our own life. Who are the good friends in your life that help sharpen you to be more like Jesus? And who are the bad friends that pull you away from him? More than that, are you being a good friend? Am I being a good friend? That's a big question for us to ask. Well, we believe that we have a God who has not left us on our own, but he's come to us in Jesus. He's a gracious God that not only shows us what friendship looks like, but he gives us the supernatural power to be friends. And so I want to pray that he would meet with us and help us by his grace in the presence of his spirit. So let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be with us. We pray with confidence because we've seen the grace that you've extended to us in Jesus, leaving the perfection of heaven, coming into this broken, painful world, and living the perfect life we couldn't live, suffering in our place as a substitute on the cross, dying for us, and then rising from the dead. God, we see this as the centerpiece of your character. You've been the ultimate good friend to us. And so we pray that you would meet with us now and help us to hear these words. Help us to hear what we need. We're going to cover a lot of territory. Um, We're going to say a lot of things. Help us to hear your voice. We pray that your spirit would meet with us, would open our minds, would change us, and would make us more like your son, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So wise friends, what does it look like to have wise friends? And I just was remembering a couple of weeks ago, we had a baptism. How many of you were at the baptism? Some of you were at the baptism. That was exciting. That was probably the the biggest attendance we've ever had at a baptism. We had about 200 people out at the baptism. Uh, But more important than the people watching, we had 12 people get baptized last week. We had 12 people say, Jesus is my best friend, basically. Say, I'm going to identify with Jesus, this God who has given himself for me. I'm going to begin to follow him. And so we just want to lift that up. First of all, let's give him a hand for those of you who got baptized. Um, I also want to say, if you're beginning to understand this hope that we have in Christ, this sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf, and if you'd like to take that next step of discipleship to get baptized, we'd love to talk to you more about that, what that means to really trust him and to begin following him. We'd love to encourage you to take that next step. You can email the church office, office at begrace.org if you're interested. But as we think about the, the whole concept of friendship, Proverbs again and again says that we should have wise friends and we should be wise friends. And I just want to jump again to the finish line and say, hey, Jesus is the ultimate friend. That's where we're headed. He's the one that transforms our life and enables us to be good friends and receive the friendship that he's given to us. But as we look through Proverbs, I said this before, we're going to jump around a lot, and I've got three main ideas that I've been pulling out of the Proverbs, and that's number one, wise friends receive truth. Wise friends receive truth. 
The second point that we'll look at is that wise friends love well. Wise friends love well. And then the third point is that wise friends endure adversity. Wise friends endure adversity. So number one, wise friends receive truth. Wise friends receive truth. Now, before we move on from our starting point verse about the whole idea of walking with the wise, let's remember what wisdom means. Wisdom in the Bible can mean artistic skill, right? We've talked about that before, but I just want to cover that again. It can mean artistic skill. It can mean something very specific, like someone being really good at a craft or an art. But generally in Proverbs, it has meant moral uh, certitude, right? It's meant the, meant the conviction of listening to God's voice and obeying Him morally. That's the kind of the primary foundation of what wisdom has meant. And so that's really where I'm going here with the idea of uh, wise friends receiving truth. So the first big verse I want us to look at is Proverbs 10.8. Proverbs 10.8 says it this way, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The wise of heart receives commandments. Are you receiving commandments? Are you receiving God's guidance? Or do you think you know how to live your life on your own and you don't need God to tell you what to do? The wise of heart receives commandments, has an openness to God, is saying, I I need to learn. I have something to learn. I need God to guide me. That's the wise. There's poetry here. Hebrew scholars will point out that the kind of the poetry in this verse is saying the wise of heart takes up commandments, but the babbling fool is torn down in ruin. So there's this kind of like taking up of commandments, this rising up, or being torn down in ruin. It's this beautiful contrast that is, is more clear in the Hebrew than we see in the English. But the big idea is, are, are, we, are we grabbing hold of the truth? Are you receiving the truth? Are you a person that loves the truth? Or do you make your own truth? We have to remember that in our culture, we're being told constantly that the gospel, the good news of our culture, is being true to your own heart. It's that your own inner idea of reality is what determines what reality is. And you've got to obey your inner voice to be saved. Which is different from what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, no, human beings are fundamentally flawed. We are glorious. I mean, human beings are incredible. And the world is glorious, but we're also flawed. We're broken. And we need God to tell us how to redirect our lives, how to live according to who He is and what He says reality is. Do you receive commandments? Do you take up the commandments? Or do you reject what God has to say and say, no, I'm, I'm Lord of the universe. I know what's right and wrong. Are you Lord of your own universe? When we try to be the Lord of our own universe, it goes very badly for us. It doesn't work out. I want to encourage you to not walk down that road, but to receive the truth from God. Another proverb we could look at is Proverbs 28, 4-5. It says, Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked. What's this saying? It's kind of trying to show the degrees to which this takes place personally, but we also see this in culture, that when you stop really receiving and loving the law, you're actually praising evil. There's no neutrality, right? We have this whole concept in our world that there's like, you know, neutrality and there's this secular ideal 
where you're not influenced by religion whatsoever. Guys, everybody's influenced by something. There's no neutrality. Neutrality does not exist. When you say God doesn't exist, I just care about human flourishing, you're making a religious statement. That's a religion. That's a faith statement. I'm not saying you're terrible if you believe that. I'm just saying you have a religion. And don't pretend that that's not a religion. We all have a religion. We all have a faith. We're all trusting in something. And so here, Proverbs 28, 4 through 5, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Verse 5, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Justice comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from people. We can't make it up. It's external to us. Um, The history of civilization is human beings messing this thing up, right? Why do we think we're going to be the generation that's going to get it right? When everybody else got it wrong, we're going to get it right. No, the biblical foundation is no, you've got to look out to God. You need, you need God to guide you. He's, he's the source of justice. And just to clarify with this verse, verse 5, it's not saying that if you seek the Lord, then you poof, you know, like magically have complete understanding of justice. He's saying you've found the source of justice. It's the Lord. He's the source, right? You are a creature. I'm a creature. We're still growing in our comprehension of it over time, but we found the source, the perfect, complete source of justice. Proverbs 12.15 says it this way, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Now this is extending it out kind of to the periphery, right? To other people, beyond just God, right? So there's this, this fundamental posture we have, if we want to be wise, that we listen to God's voice. That's where wisdom comes from. But also, what does that translate into? That translates into us being humble people that then have something to learn from other creatures made in the image of God. What this does is this humbles you so much that now you're not just listening to God's voice, you're actually listening to other people. You actually think, huh, I have something to learn from other human beings. It begins to change your character. So we talk a lot here about joining a group. Joining a group. What do we mean by that? We mean getting in a group with other humans that are trying to follow Jesus listening to the Bible together, praying for each other, helping each other receive the truth. Are you and I growing in our practice of receiving the truth? It's not just a one-time decision, but it's an ongoing discipline. It's a habit, right? We get in groups and we study the Bible with other people. And we say, man, this is hard. I struggle with this. Can Can you pray for me? Can you pray with me? I'll pray for you. And we learn the scripture and we begin applying the scripture and we stumble forward, living out the ways of Jesus, walking in biblical wisdom. I grabbed a picture of a Bible here. Most of our groups, Bible study is at the center of it. Some of our groups, it may just be, you know, a little bit of Bible and a lot of prayer, but it's always walking with Jesus in obedience to the scripture. That's what our groups are always going to be. We encourage you to join one of the existing groups we have or to start a group, right? You can grab another friend that you work with or you live in the neighborhood with and you say, hey, let's just, let's walk around the block. It's going to cool off this week, I think, maybe. Let's walk around the block together and memorize some scripture and pray for each other, right? That's a group. Or you could say, let's have some coffee before work and we'll study the Bible. We'll talk about the sermon or we'll read this Christian book together. We'll pray for each other. Join a group of other Christians where you're beginning to receive truth 
together. So Proverbs 10, is the main one. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The big idea is that you must be guided by the Bible. So we talk about groups, but also this is in your own life, reading the Bible, listening to the Bible on audio. I want to continue to hit this because there are more and more great opportunities to listen. You know, there's great apps now with the, the version Bible app and all this stuff. You can listen to the Bible. Um, I love to do that. I feel like I, I learn differently when I'm hearing it than when I'm reading it. Sometimes I can read stuff, y'all, and I'm like, I don't know what I just read. But I can listen to things and, it, and I digest it differently. For some of you, it may be a, some third thing, right? It may, it may be saying it out loud that helps you understand it or copying it. Um, I've got a psalm journal where I copy it sometimes. That can be helpful as well. But you want to take in, receive the truth, receive the commandments of God, receive who He is and what He has to say. Allow your life to be guided by it. As you learn this practice, this discipline of receiving the truth, God will humble you. He will begin to teach you wisdom. And then you can take this next step, which is a little scary, but it's in the Proverbs, so I'm going to say it, okay? I feel like this is a little scary. I'm, I'm being risky here showing you this, but it's in the Bible, so you, you, might, have, you might read it anyway. It's Proverbs 28, 23. This is about then sharing the truth, not just receiving it, but sharing it. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. I'm basically giving y'all a license to rebuke, okay? But before you rebuke someone, you better show that you've got a track record of receiving the truth yourself. And I want you to pray for that person. And if you're able, cry with and for that person. But then what the Scripture says is we want to we be willing to speak the truth to each other. Ephesians says, speak the truth in love, right? We don't want to go off like, you know, shooting Bible verses at people and being a complete jerk, but we do want to speak the truth. Be a friend that receives the truth and be a friend that speaks the truth. And I'm talking friendship. I also want to take this one step higher and say, you know, what we were talking about earlier about culture, be willing to speak the truth in culture as well. That might be in your workplace, that might be at a school, that might be in some other kind of association. We need to be willing to speak the truth as well, and I think more and more we're being taught that we just need to shut up and not say anything, right? The Christian posture is just to love people and not speak up. Well, no, it's, it's perfectly fine to speak up, right? Speak the truth. People need the truth. Those of us who know the truth and know God need to speak up and share it. We don't want to be arrogant about it. We don't want to be jerks about it. But we need to be willing to speak the truth. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Just to be clear, there's two kinds of flattering. In the Proverbs, flattering usually means you're saying a lot of nice things just to manipulate people, right? It's fine to say nice things. Hey, you look great today. Hey, I like your new haircut, right? Like that's totally fine. But a flatterer in the Proverbs sense is one who's always doing that sort of thing to manipulate people. So showing a contrast here, someone saying nice things to get something out of somebody, and then someone willing to do the hard work of, of speaking up in a hard situation. Say, hey, you're, you're hurting yourself. This is what Scripture says. I, I want to help you to walk with God. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Derek Kidner, my favorite uh, commentator, says this, he says, sometimes that afterward takes a while, okay? Sometimes you have to wait a long time for the afterward. What do I mean? Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find favor, right? It may be a while. 
until you see a positive result from that. But again, all of this is, is under the umbrella of being someone who receives the truth, who's humble, who's listening to God, who's listening to other people, who's, cray, who's praying, who's crying, who, as Proverbs 12 says, rejoices with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. All of that has to be in context before you ever go off rebuking. I like the word exhort better anyway. Rebuke sounds hard, doesn't it? Sounds like you're slapping somebody. Don't slap people. Okay, don't do that. But challenge people with the truth. Wise friends receive truth. Next point is that wise friends love well. Wise friends love well. We see this in Proverbs 17, 17. Wise friends love well. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. This is Hebrew parallelism. It's a friend loves at all times. A good friend, that's what you should aim for. You should love well all the time, no matter what, unconditionally. Just love, right? Chris Johnson was saying it, just love, period, right? Just love. You're not loving to get something out of somebody. You just love, period, without a payoff, without a condition. Um, and a brother is born for adversity, saying, well, a brother's kind of that built-in friend you have, right? Like, they're born into your family, and they got to love you, Right? We're aspiring to be brotherly with each other. That's why the New Testament talks about if you're a brother and sister in Christ, if we both have faith in Christ, we should be like a brother or a sister. We should be there and go through adversity with each other. But we'll get to that in the last point. Let's focus on the love and loving well here. A friend loves at all times. As you look through the Proverbs, you start to see these strange things that seem like New Testament principles. And the reason that is, is because the Old Testament and the New Testament go together, okay? Now, we have to just be honest and say, when we read our Old Testament, it seems harsher and more distant. Why? Because it is, in time and culture, more distant, right? There is a difference there. And we would say the grace and the kindness of God is more clear, is more crystal clear in Jesus. That's true. But the justice and grace of God is present in both places in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so you start to see this thing in Proverbs where it says, hey, don't just love your friends, but even love your enemies. Like, don't gloat when an enemy falls or fails. There's a lot of Proverbs like that. This one particular one I'm going to use is Proverbs 25, verses 21 through 22. This one appears a lot in the New Testament. So this, was, this one's going to sound familiar to us. Proverbs 25, 21 through 22 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like the New Testament? It goes on and it says, For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. You're like, okay. Um, let's just admit, sometimes Scripture sounds really weird, right? It's like, love your enemies. And if you really love your enemies, that'll be like setting their head on fire, right? <laughs> and this can sound really confusing and disorienting to us, Let's think about the, the, the symbolism here. Burning coals in the Old Testament are a symbol of God's perfect holiness, His justice. That's the number one symbol that's most common with burning coals. There's a second symbol also that comes up again and again in the Old Testament, and that's the symbol of the coals at the altar of the sacrificial system. The altar, the sacrificial system, was this foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Christ, of the grace of and forgiveness that we have in Jesus. And so, so much so was the burning coal from the altar 
a picture of forgiveness that when Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, is like, I'm undone, I'm sinful, I have a sinful mouth, I say sinful things, the angel comes in this vision with burning coals and atones for Isaiah's sin. He cleanses Isaiah with the burning coals. So at the very least, when it says that you're heaping burning coals on someone's head, it's not saying you're trying to kill them or set them on fire. What it's saying is you're showing them the holiness of God. And I think really what it's saying is you're showing them the grace of God. You're showing them the forgiving, cleansing, atoning kindness of a sacrifice-making God. And again, that's most clear for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we see it foreshadowed even here in these ancient texts. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. This is a picture of what love looks like. Love is refreshing. Love is feeding. Love is helping. We talked about the mercy team earlier. When people are having a hard time, we like to feed them, right? Hospitality again and again in the Bible is a command of Christians. We're to engage in hospitality. We've said this before. Hospitality essentially means showing kindness to strangers, But the most practical way to show kindness to strangers is to feed them, to water them, to refresh them. I grabbed a picture here of some football players uh, drinking water out of some kind of special water contraption. I don't know what that is they're using. Uh, But these guys are hot and sweaty and they're drinking water. I played football in Texas, um, was a skinny kid, and the water was very important. We would do this thing where we would weigh before and after our football practice, right? So it's 137 degrees outside in Texas, and we'd go practice some football for a few hours. We had two days where we'd go twice a day and do these practices. And the coaches wanted us to weigh to make sure we were conscious of how much water we were drinking. I was already a skinny kid, and I would lose eight pounds of water weight during a, yeah, there was only like 50 pounds left after that. (laughs) I would lose eight pounds for real during practice, just sweating. Just sweating. And I was drinking a lot of water, too. And so that's just an illustration of how much we need refreshment, right? We've all together just endured one of the worst summers that we've ever had here in Central Texas. We know what it's like to be hot. I say we got one more day. We know what it's like to be hot. We know what it's like to be thirsty, to need that refreshment. The picture here is that that a wise friend is that refreshment. Not just to your friends, but even to your enemies. How much more to your friends, right? Like, let's, let's back this up a little bit. We're, we're saying we should be a friend to our enemies. We should be a friend to our friends too, y'all. Be a, be a friend to your friends. And another thing I would emphasize here is it's okay to spend time with people that are refreshing. I think sometimes Christians have, we, we slip off of the horse on both sides, right? Like one side of the horse, it's a big problem in our city, particularly is the prosperity gospel, which is like, if you love God enough, you'll be rich and have everything you want, right? Not true. Uh, We talk about that other times. We can talk about that afterwards if you're curious. But there's this other side of the horse we fall off on, and that's the poverty gospel or the gospel of suffering that says, if you really want God to love you, you got to suffer a lot. Then you can win his love. No, Jesus gave you his love. Jesus gave it to you. And Jesus' love is so perfect and so complete that he will enable you to endure prosperity and still be faithful and to share with others and help them out out of your prosperity. 
or to endure suffering and be able to testify to his goodness in the midst of your suffering. And so I just want to clarify that when we're told to love our enemies, that doesn't mean never have good, refreshing friends, right? It's okay to spend time with people that are refreshing. You need that. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are complete. Going back to point one, if we're receiving the truth, if we're receiving grace, if we're in a posture of, I need God and I need other people to shape me, this comes through in our, our life of love and friendship as well, right? You, you need refreshing people in your life. So I'm not going to the whole like extreme of self-care, care about you, or, you know, like that can get, go a little far, right? But a little bit of that is just common sense, right? You need some good, encouraging friends. Hang around some people that encourage you, that are loving, that are refreshing. And then secondly, be that person. Be encouraging, be refreshing to your friends. And then third, be refreshing, be encouraging to your enemies. To your enemies. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with one another as the Lord has forgiven you. You must also forgive. It comes from Jesus. Jesus loves us, so we love other people. Jesus forgives us, so we forgive other people. Right? So this thing that's hinted at and kind of foreshadowed in the Old Testament is clarified in the New Testament. Jesus is the power by which we're able to do that. Jesus' love for us enables us to just receive good love from good friends. And Jesus' love for us is so supernatural and enables us to love enemies as well. So just uh, write down, you may not want to write down, but think about a friend that you can practically love this week. Just want to think about that for just a minute. Who's that friend that I can, I can practically love this week? And then who's an enemy that I can practically serve and love this week? An enemy might sound extreme to you. Who's that person that just bugs me, that's making my life miserable? It's hard to be around at work, whatever that might be. And think about a practical way you can love them. Pray for them, encourage them. Notice something good that they're doing. Write a note Whatever that might be. Think of a friend. Think of an enemy. The cool thing is, uh, if that person's here, they're not going to know if they're the friend or the enemy, right? So, <laughs> so just go love people, right? Don't worry about which side of the list they're on. Uh, but, just, but just try to pick one, one friend, one, one enemy, one difficult person that you can show practical love to this week. Okay, last point. Wise friends endure adversity. Wise friends endure adversity. And so, uh, that previous verse said the, the brother's born for adversity, right? You got, you got some built-in helpers for adversity, um, but we are challenged to be the friend that endures adversity with others and to receive that kind of friendship as well. Again, as you learn to receive grace from Jesus, it's going to allow you to receive grace from other people. As a pastor, I spend you know, day-to-day time helping people, serving other people. It can be hard for me to receive the help of other people. I'm thankful for people in the church who help me and my wife and our family in times of need. We need that. Nobody's above receiving help in times of adversity. Proverbs 27.10 says it this way, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. What is it saying there? It's saying, you got friends, ask your friends for help. Don't just go to your brother's house. That's what it's saying. My brother lives about a 24-hour drive from here. 
So it'd be kind of idiotic for me to meet, go to my brother's house at 2 a.m. if I have a flood or a problem, right? One time we had uh, water coming in the back of the house. Uh, There's just kind of different land, you know, land changes, tree changes, and, and with heavy rains, it was like shooting right at my house in a different way. So it was coming through, and I had to borrow a shop vac, right? I, I could have gone to my brother's house in Washington, D.C., borrowed a shop vac from him, but it made more sense to call a close friend, right? A friend nearby. That's what this verse is saying. Don't forsake your friend and your father's friend and don't go to your brother's house in your day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So as the, as the Proverbs often do, it's just talking about it in very practical sense here. But again, friendship is practical. Adversity is practical. We live in a world of adversity. We need help. Ask for help. Lean on people that can help you in times of need. This is a discipline of the Christian life. Not only being that friend, but receiving friendship from other people. In Mark, Jesus talks about this as a mark of the community of faith, that we would be like brothers and sisters. We talked about this earlier. If you trust in Jesus, we're all adopted into the same family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, because it's a worldwide family, of every tongue and tribe. We don't all know each other as well as brothers and sisters do, right? But we have this common bond and we purpose to show brotherly love and sisterly love to each other as a reflection of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus said when his mother and brothers were at the door at this crowded uh, time in Mark 3, there was a lot going on and this crowd was pressing in trying to be with them and they're like, hey, your mother and brother are here. And he was like, hey, my mother and brother, whoever do my will, clarified. That, that's true family. Spiritual family, spiritual friendships are those who trust God. And then we have this bond together where we can be friends to each other. The most famous verse in Proverbs about this is Proverbs 27.17. Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that verse before. Okay, pretty much everybody. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. What's the idea there? It's like we, we help each other to grow. And that helping, it, it comes through adversity. It comes through difficulty, heat, pressure, sparks, right? I grabbed a picture of a blacksmith working iron. He's, he's hammering it with an iron hammer, and there's heat. There's sparks. It's just it's not the kind of thing that, that looks like you want to be the hot metal getting beaten by an, <laughs> by an iron hammer, right? Like it doesn't seem attractive. But what it's saying is as we walk through adversity together, we can sharpen and encourage one another. Sometimes the sharpening comes from us debating, right? Challenging, rebuking one another. Sometimes that sharpening comes from the outside adversity of we're just walking through a crummy world together. But the heat and the pressure of adversity helps us to grow, to become sharper. One of my favorite passages in Philippians chapter 1, I reference this a lot. So if you're hanging around the church, you'll hear me say this every couple of months. But in Philippians chapter 1, Paul expresses how the life in this world is a life of adversity. And Paul, the most spiritual person that ever lived, you know, aside from Jesus, I guess, he said that of course I'd rather die and be in heaven with Jesus because everything's going to be better then. 
And that's so, so reassuring to me because I can be kind of melancholy sometimes, you know? Like, man, why is life so hard? And Paul's like, oh yeah, it's a lot better in heaven. <laughs> it's a lot better to be with Jesus, but we don't get to choose when we go there. Jesus chooses. Paul says, I'm still on assignment here. He still has work for me to do here. That's why I'm still here. I don't go, okay, well, I'm just going to give myself to Jesus then and take my life, right? That's why we say suicide is the wrong answer. We say, no, Jesus determines when your contract is up here. He has fruitful labor for you to perform. That's what Paul says. To be in this world is, is to be in a world of adversity and difficulty. But that's so that you can be a friend to other people in the name of Jesus. That's the work he's got cut out for all of us. It's hard. But as you show grace to others, you can encourage them. And as you rely on them to show grace to you, you can be encouraged as well. Don't think you're above being encouraged. Again, the Christian life, this missional life of walking with Christian family together is encouraging others, but it's also being encouraged, receiving encouragement. I had a friend share a song with me the other day. It was something like, don't, don't take your tears. I can't remember. You shared it with me the other day, Jonathan. What's the name of the song? I can't remember now. I'm blank. I shouldn't have called on you right in the middle. It's basically, don't keep your tears from us. Anybody know that song? Don't, don't rob us. Don't, don't rob us of the joy of sharing in your tears and in your burden. Great song. I wish I could remember the name of it. Sarah Sparks. All right, go look her up. Sarah Sparks. But it's a beautiful song. And the idea is that none of us are beyond the need of having someone to share our tears with. None of us are beyond the need of a friend to walk through adversity with us. Do you believe that? If you're someone that recognizes your need of Jesus, then you should be someone that recognizes your need of other people and friendships as well. So Paul talks about this adversity in Philippians 1, and then he points to Jesus as the ultimate example. Jesus is willing to leave his comfort in heaven to come and endure adversity for us. And that's what empowers us then to be able to share and bear the burden of other people's adversity, but also to receive their help as well in this life. Proverbs 28, 13, last, uh, last one on this point. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So it's a proverb showing the whole idea of receiving forgiveness. And 1 John 1.9 and James 5.16 reflects the same idea. 1 John 1.9 says that we confess our sins and Jesus forgives us. And then James 5.16 says we confess our sins and our friends pray for us. So number one, have you recognized your need of forgiveness and grace personally with Jesus Christ? Have you recognized the ultimate adversity that he took on for you? That he took your sin upon his back? He rose from the dead to give you life. That enables you to endure the adversity of this world, to help other people with their adversity, and to receive the grace of friends helping you in times of adversity. All right, we'll wrap up here. Wise friends. What does it look like to have wise friends? What does it look like to be a wise friend? I think we're confused about this right now in the digital age. Um, I have a computer service. You might be familiar with a program like this. It's a computer program where I can put pictures of me and my family on the World Wide Web. 
And then I have old friends from high school that can look at those pictures of me and my family. And then I can look at pictures of them and their family. I have 1,649 of these companions (laughs) on the internet. Are those wise friends? Are those deep friends? Are those the friendships where we give and take truth, where we love each other well, where we endure adversity together? I mean, some of them, I guess, but not all 1,649 of them. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin. A man of many companions may come to ruin. You may have more companions than me, but I have a lot of companions. I have 1,649 companions. It's like, I want to feel like that's awesome, but the more I study biblical friendship, I'm like, I don't know that that's doing me any favors, right? A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In context here, Proverbs is saying, look for those kinds of friends. Look for the kind of friend that's, that's even closer than your biological brother, that's going to be there for you, that's going to share the truth with you when you need to hear it. It's going to love you well. It's going to go through adversity with you. But no, more than these earthly friendships, you have that perfect friend in Jesus Christ. Christians for millennia have looked at this verse and said, ah, I know one friend that sticks closer than a brother. I may feel let down by my friends in my circle I may not feel like I've got that kind of buddy in school or at work, but I know one friend who is always there for me, who is an advocate that intercedes for me day and night, who gave himself for me as the ultimate sacrifice. That friend is Jesus Christ. He loves you. Don't miss the lengths to which he went to buy, to purchase your friendship, to take hold of you, to save you, to love you. And as you trust in that friendship, that's going to transform you and me to be the kind of friends that that we want from other people. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are our ultimate friend. And Lord, when we see that, when we receive that, when we trust in the friendship that Jesus had for us, that changes us. That makes us better listeners. It makes us better at loving others. It makes us better able to endure adversity. So God, help us to receive the friendship you have for us and then help us to be the kinds of friends you want us to be in our church, in our community, in our homes. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.